And it leads to the next question is, over the last 40 years or so that you've been playing, I was reading someplace that you said you thought you had written in excess of a thousand songs. Uh, as of right now, see, I, I keep all of my songs on iTunes. I don't have anything on my iTunes except my songs. And when I write them, I, write, uh, I then go and record them over at my pal at Pat Tomic's house, uh, uh, three He's and four nice and five at a too. time. Yeah, yeah, he does have a good studio. Um, uh, and iTunes, you can you can look at the number. Uh, if you have to add up a few numbers, but right now it's actually fourteen hundred and some. Fourteen hundred <laughs> songs, man! What a great thing! That's wow. So <laughs> I'll tell you something, and this was kind of start off as a brag and end up as like a shame on me. But I have a, a, there's a good friend who's actually a a nationally known music critic who knows my work. And he said, Howard, he says, you know, you have maybe 10, 12 great songs. You have more great songs than some of the people, uh, many of the people who are nationally known. And, and for about two or three days, I was kind of floating on there. And then I said, wait a second, 12 songs out of 14, <laughs> out of 1,400. <laughs> My batting average. Yeah. <laughs> so professional i almost feel like i'm on a set yeah. uh we'd like to welcome howard iceberg a kansas city legend to the pit thank you will good to be back at prospero's it's always good to have you man it's been a few times mm-hmm. so my so we're in a bookstore i'm gonna ask you my leading question what are you reading oh boy i i always have several books right by my side at the at the time according to my mood which is uh, kind of problematical because then I have to start over again after I forgot what I've been reading. But I've been reading the new uh, that Cormac McCarthy. Both of them. Um, yeah, I got both of them. I'm halfway through the one, and uh, a book I really enjoyed recently: "Rules of Civility." Boy, Amor Tolls. God, loved that's it. a great. I thought that was a fantastic book. I loved it. Somebody asked me what that was about, and I said it's like. It's like Fitzgerald's The Gatsby, except I like the characters. Yeah, 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 that's a good way of putting it. I like, a, a friend of mine who is a, a serious New Yorker, loves anything that celebrates New York, uh, sent it to me, and I thought it was fantastic. It, it also, to, it's, to me, it's also uh, about looking back. You know, uh, uh, anyone who's looking back at the past and how things roller coastered up and down and from left to right and so forth. On well, the story, I mean, without giving away anything, yeah. it's those those pictures at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Seeing being startled by a face from thirty yeah, years exactly, ago. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, wondering where it went. Well, that's that. Well, 
I mean, that's a leading question. How does, uh, do you pull any inspiration for your artistic work from what you're reading? Absolutely. You know, um, as a songwriter, uh, I mean, I know a lot of other people, at least around here, who are who are songwriters. And one thing I uh, see, especially in uh, new people starting out, is they think if you're writing songs, what you should do is just concentrate and listen to all the other uh, songwriters, Hank Williams and Bob Dylan and whoever, Robert Burns. or, or uh, But to me, I look at songwriting as really a hybrid art, both music and lyrics, of course. And so my music... I study all the songwriters and, and study all the music. I listen to everything from Mozart to Ellington to, uh, you know, Dylan to uh, Tom Petty, whoever. But I read a lot. And to me, if you want to be write good songs, write, write songs lyrically, you need to expose yourself to good writing. And there are some good writers in songwriting, but there are more good writers who write in books and stuff like that. So, yeah, I draw a lot of my inspiration uh, uh, from books, and sometimes it's just, you know, just read something that's just very smart and acute and right on point, and that'll send you into a song, you know. When it's, you know, as I've gotten older, I don't travel like I used to as a Mm -hmm. young man, and Mm -hmm. having new stuff Mm-hmm. new inspiration, new yeah. input to pull stuff out. Yeah. I read to do it. And yeah. Like I just did a poem based on a, uh, a article I read in the guardian about moon dust. Uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. how does that trigger yeah. something creative? Yeah, it yeah. does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to jump ahead to a question is that, so which comes first for you, the music or the lyrics? Um, actually I've written so many songs that uh, I uh, I no longer I don't have any one process, and in fact, I think that uh, if you really want to expand as a songwriter, I I've written songs from the music first, where I come up with a riff, and you know, then that'll lead me to a first phrase or something. I've written songs based on a lyric, either something that I thought was a good line or about uh, a subject matter. But I've written songs based on a drum beat. I've written songs based on a movie I saw. I've written songs based on something someone said or something they didn't say. Uh, I think that maybe a mistake of some new new songwriters aspiring songwriters is to always do always you know try to sit down and knit their brow and and play some music and see what comes of it i think you should be open to just keep your mind empty and let let stuff pour in there's plenty plenty uh down there in the stew to let stuff come in or or stuff go out you know when you write, you're primarily a guitar player. Do you play anything else? 
Uh, you write on anything? I'm else? not even much of a guitar player. I'm mostly a, a songwriter, but uh, I also play the a little piano, just enough that I can bang out some chords. And uh, I think most musicians agree that who 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 most musicians who write would say that different instruments, especially if they're quite different, like the piano and guitar, you'll you'll play things differently or you'll come up with different stuff. So sometimes I use the the keyboards to change it up a little. You know, back in the day when I used to write music and mm. was doing stuff is that I always found keyboards was is so linear. Mm -hmm. It's just you just count to twelve again and it's so but when I was doing guitar mm -hmm. it's so stacked and it's such a different process of Yeah. But for me because I have created this sort of a hybrid instrument, it happens that my guitar is very linear, and I play it flat, uh, and it is set up, it's tuned differently and set up differently than a guitar, although it is. it starts out as a guitar, then I... I used to take it to master music, and they would change the bridge and ch change the strings and all. Um, the the number of the configuration uh so that when i play it um it's it's almost like a piano keyboard and I, and i can i only have to on my particular instrument i only have to have two or three formations the for my hands that stay the same no matter what key it is. So I don't learn, I don't have to learn how to play differently to play in the key of F or the key of G minor or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the same all the way through for me. And it's taken a lot of the struggle. It, it, it's made it so that it is more, I guess what you call linear or, or mathematical. I kind of think of it as almost mathematical. And it makes it easier for me to um, to uh, uh, come up with stuff that's based on what I would call the overall structure, the overall relationship within a particular key of the chords for songwriting. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, you you know uh, what we talk about the one four and five the three main chords mm -hmm. which which say in a would be a d and e uh, but then you add the relative minor which it would be f sharp minor there then you learn how to play the b minor and you keep on when you're starting off if you keep on adding to the the three main chords then it gives you a wider palette and I can do that because of my particular instrument I can do that in any key which helps write songs differently because then if I've written a song in A and I'm trying to sing in A um, in a particular song because of my vocal range which is limited then if I change and use the same chords but go to E then because of my vocal range I can for the same set of chords I can come up with a whole different melody and and uh, yeah. again expand the, uh, the possibilities 
one, it's it's fun. I was watching some old videos before mm-hmm. sitting down to talk with you mm-hmm. here, and I was that was one of the things I was going to talk about how because I'm assuming you do it in an open tuning of some kind, and you play your the way you play it is almost like a lap steel. The yeah, way you, it is actually what it is is when I I never was a musician growing up, uh, uh, and when I went. I never was a musician all through college even. And then when I went to law school, law school, of course, was making me crazy like it would make anyone crazy. So I started hanging out at a place called The Fool Killer. uh, And I learned to play the mountain dulcimer there, which is a lap instrument. Mm -hmm. And, And, but I didn't get enough, once I started actually writing my own songs, I didn't get enough volume or enough flexibility, the the mountain dulcimer, you have to retune it with tuning pegs every time you want to change keys. So I started getting guitars. I started tuning them like dulcimers. So my guitar is actually tuned like a combination of a, a mountain dulcimer and a mandolin or six-string guitar. And I had to, I had to sit down with a dulcimer chord book and a guitar chord book and yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's how I do it. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I still remember as a kid when I was sitting in my parents' house and I got my guitar out and some girls by the Stones came out. Mm-hmm. And I sat down and I first time I really started trying to learn other people's mm-hmm. music by ear. Mm-hmm. It's like everything's E-A-G <laughs> and D, occasional mm-hmm. D, you know, or something. It's like it's it was so fun how songwriting and virtuosity really aren't. Mm-hmm. akin spirits in a lot of ways mm-hmm. it's uh, mm-hmm. two different disciplines but, mm-hmm. yeah well these the next question is saying over the last 40 years or so that you've been playing i was reading some places that you said you thought you had written in excess of a thousand songs uh as of right now see i I keep all of my songs on iTunes. I don't have anything on my iTunes except my songs. And when I write them, I write. Uh, I then go and record them over at my pal at Pat Tomic's house, uh, uh, three He's and four nice and five at a too. time. Yeah, yeah, he does have a good studio. Um, uh, and iTunes, you can you can look at the number. Uh, if you have to add up a few numbers, but right now it's actually fourteen hundred and some. Fourteen hundred <laughs> songs, man. What a great thing. That's, wow. So <laughs> I'll tell you something, and this was kind of start off as a brag and end up as like a shame on me, but I have a, a there's a good friend who's actually a, a nationally known music critic who knows my work, and he said, Howard, he says, you know, you have maybe 10, 12 great songs. You have more great songs than some of the people uh, many people who are nationally known, and and for about two or three days, I was kind of floating on air. And then I said, "Wait a second, twelve songs out of fourteen, <laughs> out of fourteen hundred, my batting average." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think you have to write a lot of bad and medium mediocre songs to to uh, maybe squeeze out a few good ones, and but. I think one of the things is just, uh, I mean, I do it because that's what I like to do. I feel like if I was a painter, I'd be someone who wake up every morning and maybe go outside and paint a little tree or something every day. And that's kind of the way I approach 
songwriting is I write stuff that pleases me or almost like sitting down with a crossword puzzle because there's stuff, there's always little things to work out like in any art form, like in writing or or sculpture or whatever. And so how long does it take you to write a song? Depends, but the, the best songs come pretty quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some, some of them bounce around. Some of them I've had in mind for maybe a long time, a phrase or, 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 but most of them, I'm going to get it, get, get the heart of it done within a half an hour to an hour. And then over the next two or three days, I'm going to uh, fix up a little thing here. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you said you, so your process involves, you record them pretty quickly. Now, I mean, I've listened to, I have, I'm trying to think, probably a dozen albums by your CDs over the Could years. Uh-huh. And I mean, how do you choose which ones you're going to put on CD and select? And obviously, we now know what you do mm-hmm. with the rest of them. You've archived them. but Yeah, um, the ones I like the best. And, and, and But sometimes uh, I don't, when I put out it, when I was putting out CDs, which I haven't done in a, in a while, uh, uh, um, I would, unlike some people who want to say, okay, I'm putting out, uh, either I'm a cowboy songwriter mm-hmm. and I'm going to have all cowboy tunes, whatever, or I'm a blues musician or whatever. I like to put out uh, a variety of stuff on each CD and it doesn't necessarily uh, cohere, um, but... Um, so sometimes some of the best songs get left off because I've already done one on the same subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got a lot of pretty good stuff Is sitting there... around that no one's heard yet. Where do people who are going to be curious because of the thousands of people that view this podcast, mm-hmm. <laughs> where are they going to be able to go find your stuff? You SoundCloud, Bandcamp? Uh, uh... I have some stuff on Bandcamp and I have some stuff on uh, Spotify. And is that I just got under your name, or is it under the under the name Titanics? Howard Iceberg and the Titanics, right. most of it, and YouTube. There's stuff mm-hmm. on YouTube. Different people posted, and um, a, a lot of the stuff is just it. It was there for a while, and now it's gone. You know, it was on a, a cassette or a CD. Uh, how dada? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well you, you know, uh, really. Partly when I think about music and, you know, whether any of this has any uh, staying power or whatever, I kind of think, I mean, who really has staying power? Shakespeare, you know? So I think part of the thing is just to, if you can do something to entertain a few of your friends or or fans and yourself at, at at your point in time, then, you know. I feel lucky to have been able to do that. It is a lucky thing to get to do what you want to do artistically. I remember a, it's a quote by Annie DeFranco. I refer to it often. She's talking about she remembers the days when a record was actually a record of mm-hmm. people making music in a room. Mm-hmm. You yeah. turn the yeah. mic on and there it went. Yeah. And at the end of that, we now had yeah. John Lee Hooker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, but, okay. what do you think makes a good song? 
Boy, that's a, that's there's so many different kinds of good songs. But one thing I think that I uh, uh, feel for my best songs is there's enough certainty in there that you you can get a feel either for an emotion that's that's being portrayed or an idea or something but there's enough ambiguity that different people can read it according to mm. themselves you know like i know that you know they someone i think famous said uh, a great novel is a mirror or is like a mirror mm. in other words it may be about some whole other place and time and and plot, but you can you can bring something. You can identify. Oh yeah, I know how they feel. You know, you. Uh, I I I wrote a song just recently where, if I can think of what I said, I said, oh yeah. Uh, something about you wouldn't know by seeing us just how hard we tried and I was playing it for someone and she said that's how I feel you know and mm -hmm. I was thinking of something totally different than what she was thinking but it, uh, that's why songwriters don't like to really interpret their songs because if it's a good song then what is it about you tell me what it's about. Mm -hmm. What's it about to you? That's the important thing. Resonates. Mm -hmm. In the last few years, you've you've been very aggressively, from what I've watched of you of you performing and writing and being out in the universe, working with other people. Uh, I don't know if it's writing together or just recording with a and a broad selection of the Kansas City mm -hmm. region's mm -hmm. musical community. It's and not been writing together. It's not been I'd, writing. I don't have very good luck. I've tried it a few times and uh, haven't had so much luck riding together. But I've always, uh, and it's been more than the last few years, it's probably been the last 15 to 20 years, uh, I would always meet new people. I would go out and see other people. If I liked the band, I would assault them and <laughs> say, you got to come in. It, it, and we're going to do three songs. We're going to do two songs. We're going to do three songs together. I'll show them. It's kind of like saying, oh, oh, okay, uh, let's go out and shoot some buckets today. Mm -hmm. But I can never hit the baskets, uh, uh, but, so, but I can do this. And so I've learned a whole lot by playing with other musicians. And I think it's been fun for all for them, too. We, we've had a blast. And... I've recorded with over, I think over two hundred people wow. in the can all all in the Kansas City or the surrounding area, or mostly from from around here. Well, you know, and again and again, I you know I run with a lot of the music folk in town, and people mention working with you. It's been a little bit of a glue. I would like to tell mm. you is that one of whether you meant to or not, that's formed kind of a unity in some of the community. Good. That's that's really it's surprising and wonderful. It makes Kansas City pretty unique. Yeah, yeah, I. I I have wanted partly for to to show that you everyone can 
exchange ideas and get together. And there are places where the bands are competitive with each other and all that. Yeah. And I think the thing to do is for, you know, to push the whole thing higher with everyone bringing their own skills to to the When table. you've done that here, when you could have done it, and usually the pressures are to do this in Nashville, mm-hmm. probably for the genre mm-hmm. that, that you've carved out and been working in most of the time mm-hmm. I'm aware of you. Um, challenges, is that a good decision, that a bad decision? Is it... Uh... Well, um, I think so, some of the people who... Uh, if they were watching this, who who also know me, know that uh, I did all this music stuff on the side. I was an immigration lawyer for many, many years, for 30, 35 years, and and, uh, uh, was really busy with it. I taught it at the law school. I probably represented, you know, I don't know how many people, maybe maybe 10,000, probably 20,000 people, I don't know, over that time. And I had a very busy practice, uh, and I liked doing that too. And I think they were a good balance for each other. They were very different, but I was not ready to throw it all in with music. And I wasn't ready to throw it all in with law either. Yep. So, so. They used to have two words, vocation and avocation. Yeah. The things you yeah. loved and the things yeah. that you did to eat. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just the thing, if, you know, if 20 years from now on the magical bus, when everybody's listening to the Howard Stern greatest hit CD, what are the three songs that you've written that you wish people would pay attention to still? Oh. You can stop with one. It's okay. Well, uh Ones that other people I, I know have have liked. One is called "Play Me a Slow One." Okay. There's one called "Calling Robert Burns," which is you know invoking the spirit of a great early Western uh, songwriter. Make that a Burns uh, night original. You huh? have to start getting that, spreading that across the globe. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, there's there's one called "Sentimental." There's one called "The Wrestler." Um, I've written a lot of songs that, I mean, you know, they're all my babies, so, uh, you know, it's hard for me to pick and choose. Now, anybody fun covered? Anybody, you know, I mean, I guess the big question would be, you know, if Taylor Swift decides to record one of your songs as a cover, is that you're going to become a Swifty and put on the glitter and... Uh... No, I'm going I'm to put on a... <laughs> A Travis Kelsey jersey is what I'm going to do and <laughs> see if I can fool her for a night. <laughs> oh, my, when you, you just mentioned it was where I was going to go with this next was uh, beside music, you've been an attorney and I'm familiar, you've already mentioned it was an immigration attorney. Was that your first love? Is that what you really studied well, and came out? Um, you know, I started becoming i don't know if you'd say radicalized or or politically conscious in a left sort of way back in high school somehow i had some teachers that that started me off where in high school i was reading the autobiography of malcolm x and black like me and then you know uh iceberg slim if you know who that is absolutely and 
and yeah. some of yeah, uh, and and then in college, uh, uh, I went to a school in St. Louis, Washington U, that was fairly progressive, and these were in the political hippie days. So these were days when. Music was very important, but politics mm -hmm. of the left was very important. And so then when I, when I got out of undergraduate school, I went to law school because those were still the last days of the Warren Court where lawyers could go in and make a difference with the Supreme Court and could fight for civil rights, First Amendment, uh, you know, prison all reform, all kinds of things. And so I got out of law school and formed a group with nine others. There were 10 of us. We formed the Kansas City Law Collective. And we we did uh, what, what some people would call movement work. We were the, uh, the legal arm in Kansas City for, uh, we spent three years fighting over prison conditions at Leavenworth Penitentiary helping, trying to um, get better conditions and, and stuff there. We worked with battered women. We worked with the First Amendment. We, we um, uh, I worked 40 years ago. I was working on the issue of um, drug law reform, marijuana. I was the head of normal here for a couple of years, which was, uh, I took the, Missouri's marijuana laws to the the Missouri Supreme Court. To, uh, so it was a really uh, interesting and fun time to be a lawyer because, you know, there were the people who were the 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 group that worked on prison stuff, or the people that worked on Native American stuff, or the Westport Free Health Clinic people all these different groups, but our group, we got to work with all of them. So all these people had their own individual things, and we got to see the whole panoply of stuff that, that you would, I guess, call counterculture or counter-legal culture or something. Mm -hmm. And I did that for eight years. And then I just needed to go out on my own, and I fell into immigration law. It never occurred to me that I would do immigration law until I started doing it, and it just clicked in. You know, I come from a family of immigrants at the grandparent level, and... Uh, we all did. Yeah, yeah, that's well, right. Most, say. Uh, yeah, most of us. And uh, um, another nice thing was I didn't have to deal with other lawyers. I just yeah. had to fight the government on, on stuff, and... Not not dealing with the lawyers was <laughs> just fine with me. Um, and so then I became an immigration lawyer, and not many people, in at least in Kansas City, very few were doing it at the time. And um, so it wasn't just something, when you say one thing to make money and another thing to the avocation, uh, I never made any money for for a long time anyway. But eventually, I'm a bookstore owner, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so I really liked immigration law. I really liked helping people who got caught up in something that was bigger than them that they didn't know how to do, and I knew how to how to help them 
shepherd him through that process. So well, I mean, those issues yeah. are front page today. Yeah, what do you yeah. What do you think yeah. about how it's changed from them to now? And it it always has been a fight. The people within the immigration service, people who um, are drawn to work there, are by and large some a lot of them are good people. Um, but they're they're drawn to that because they have an exclusionary kind of mm-hmm. thought about it, where I'm like inclusionary, yeah. uh, uh, and uh, there's always been problems. As soon as, as soon as you got you figured out a way to help one group of people, immigration would come up with some new thing, a new regulation, or or the Congress would come up with a new law to shut things off there. But oh, you could help these people. Like, like for example, um, I did a lot of work with political asylum, with asylees from uh, El Salvador when things were going crazy there, with a lot of Iranians when uh, uh, Khomeini and the fundamentalists, uh, there were Iranian students here who were in great danger if they went back uh, uh, there. Um, uh, but it could be different groups through the years, and and uh, it's such a human issue, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I watched, you know, just recently, you watched children pulled from their parents by the party of family mm-hmm. values, separated mm-hmm. from yeah. them, put in cages. Terrible. And now you, Terrible. I mean, now you're in Texas and you're watching razor wire in a river, and I mean, I suppose I can entertain yeah. the thought that people, you know. You just can't have anybody and everybody coming into a, into a fixed area. But I mean, the the setting up a system that just that deliberately designed to kill other human beings, yeah. particularly people who are yeah coming here because they believe in something of the American dream and they're trying to escape such horrific situations, Hor- horrific uh, situations for themselves and for their kids. kids yeah. And so you ask yourself, like. If it was you and your kids on the other side of the line, uh, what would you do for your own kids? Yep. Would you doom them to maybe gangs, m- gangs, uh, uh, being being killed, or or you know, or or would you cross the line to try to save your kids? Um, I'll tell you something else that I think uh, it, why it's such a, and it, it is a problem. It's a problem here in the U.S., but it's a problem worldwide because we're going from 5 billion to 6 billion to 7 billion mm-hmm. people in, in 20 years. We have the same amount of space and we have so many more people. It's not something that will ever go away. There's always been migration before it was called that uh, and uh, and you know well, um, now you have the pressures of climate change forcing migration well, that's going to be areas a big one. that's and, going to be a big one yeah you know fresh water is going to be yeah. a scenario and yeah and I don't want to leave this and go back but you know you said you worked with normal and I was reading today's paper that that Gavin Newsom the governor of California put a slight kibosh on the movement towards legalization of psychedelics oh, oh, uh-huh. in California. And his, it wasn't, he wasn't kiboshing the idea. He was kiboshing, he goes, 
you know, until we have some mechanisms for treatment mm-hmm. and people who come into mm-hmm. these any substance has some risks factors in it. Mm-hmm. How do we take care of those? It's a different world. I mean, I yeah. I grew up, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I grew up going here and nobody's going to ever legalize weed and you spend your whole life looking over your shoulder. Now we have it and I don't care anymore. That's, <laughs> you know, that, that's funny because when I was doing it, for, which was literally must have been 40 years ago, uh, uh, close to that, uh, it seemed so eminently clear that I said to myself, it's going to be any day or any, you know, it's obvious because it, to, to me at the time and, and why, what I felt was I just wanted to be one of the people for my generation that was trying to look out for the people in my generation. And my generation, we smoked marijuana and the, the generation above us drank and their particular drug was more harmful to their own bodies and resulted in more, you know, uh, car wrecks, car wrecks, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I thought it would happen overnight, and and it and it didn't. It, it took uh, just now. It's starting to be, be uh, um, worked out, although. You know, there's still things. I mean, no one wants to have uh, you know fentanyl available on every uh, in every schoolyard. Uh, uh, so yep. there's things to still work out. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, usually, in my view, is that there's there you get problems with everything's got ups and downs to it, and you have problems, and you deal with having a car kills people. Mm-hmm. So you figure out mm-hmm. as smart responsible individuals mm-hmm. what our rules are yeah. and guidance yeah. for using something yeah. that can kill somebody yeah. and then when something happens you have the appropriate mechanisms out there to take care of them that's right yeah. so you were so you did the work you were with the casey law collective you still keep up with any of those guys they still yeah, around had, guys and gals i don't want to be presumptive there uh, it was it was five men and five women and uh one of them Fred Slough, my best old pal. For we we have lunch every Tuesday and we play poker every Thursday. <laughs> so I see him. Uh, Marsha Walsh, one of them, became the first woman lawyer in Kansas City. Kathy Keneally, our beloved Kathy, who uh, she worked with the Lawyers Guild uh, and did a lot of work with Rose Brooks and Battered Women's Center mm-hmm. stuff, and she passed on a while back. Albert Reeder was one of our people. He became the Jackson County prosecutor, and he likewise died some time ago. And uh, one of our uh, guys uh, uh, became uh, the professor uh, in the uh, law library at Yale. And Everyone did something kind of interesting in their own way. You wrote a thousand songs, fourteen hundred songs. Fourteen hundred, yeah. <laughs> um, they all they all succeeded in law, and I went off. I t- I took the wrong fork in the road, I guess. You say you're keeping up with the folks. Is there anything that catches? I mean, I know you guys are probably not in the thick of the battle like you used to be, but is there things on the horizon here that the next crew of lawyers and socially conscious individuals should be? 
Well, I know that that uh, uh, Gina, whose last name I forget, uh, who worked with Fred, has been active in uh, 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 workers' rights, and she she started a program that was working on the fifteen dollar per hour thing, and is and is. Uh, gone from that to expand on workers' issues. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, uh, stuff related to the climate, to, uh, you know, reigning in the corporations who we now know it's it's proven that they knew 40, 30, 40 years yep. ago. They knew. The, it's like tobacco. And, and, yeah, tobacco. And, the, yeah, and the people who... The people who uh, pushed sugar, the sugar industry, and tried to tell everyone it was fat and not yep. sugar. Yeah, it's kind of it's stark. Mm -hmm. um, from all this cross back and forth on this stuff, how much of what you did legally and the issues that caught your attention as a lawyer involved in these kind of hot button issues informed your art? Mm -hmm. I mean, did you pull to some extent? Yeah, to some. I, I mean. Really, I have, it, when I was really writing a lot of songs, I, would, I was writing, you know, two or three or four a week, sometimes two or three a day, sometimes. And I would write them about different kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, and for sure, there's some songs that were, uh, that would address the issues, but I really wanted to keep those separate mm -hmm. uh uh i wrote probably more songs about love love good love bad love crazy love love is uh, good stuff yeah man. that's why we're yeah. here yeah yeah that's part of it yeah uh but what uh, is i mean it's, there's there's a big discussion right now in the national theater community about declining audiences and mm -hmm. a lot of reasons they're being they're giving for it and the, as the discussions i'm following it and you know, some of it's ticket prices, which is a legitimate mm -hmm. scenario, but mm -hmm. some of it they're saying is that anymore there's not to go to theater, live theater is almost like having to go to a lecture or a dressing mm -hmm. down. There's no, there's no love. There's mm -hmm. no fun. There's yeah. no, that yeah. isn't got to, and I understand it. There's a lot of important stuff going on, but there's always been important stuff going on. Yeah. Jesus says, you know, yeah. let them wash the feet every yeah. now and then. You've yeah. got to take a little yeah. something out of it. Yeah, that's life. right. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I'm getting close to this. I remember a few years ago, you know, Roger Waters was in town and some people got really mad because he was going off on Trump from the mm -hmm. stage. And uh, the guy's like, I wish this guy would just get back to the music and leave this politics stuff alone. Mm -hmm. And you're like going, have you ever listened to Pink Floyd from day one? Yeah. What the hell they were yeah. talking about? Money. <laughs> exactly. I mean, all of it. Um, do you think modern songwriters and artists have a responsibility to address the cultural issues? or? Oh, I, I think... I think everybody does, I guess. I, uh, um, and uh, it's hard for me to say, uh, partly because I felt like I addressed it plenty in my early days as a lawyer. And I don't, I think a lot of my songs, I mean, some of my songs are just kind of funny type, or meant to be funny anyway, yeah. you know. And... Uh, um, 
I think it's difficult because um, a lot of times when, like for sure, I, I wrote a song recently that had a particular verse that people who are of the kind of political persuasion that, say, you and I are on, relate to. But uh, it's no, to me, it's no pleasure to be preaching to the choir, if you know what I mean. And it, so for me to say the things that I believe, uh, if it's just going to create division, I'm not interested in division. Yep. I'm interested in the human experience and that we're all, you know, human and and there's there's more that uh connects us than divides us yeah i agree with you on that one there's one of my favorite songwriters is a guy named james mcmurtry today and he's not a choir preacher he's an evangelist but he's mm -hmm. able to talk about some of the hottest issues mm -hmm. in a way that isn't so designed to inflame it's more designed to make you think about him honestly again i'll tell you something about james mcmurtry is it I have, uh, although I've always been just a local musician, but I have been lucky enough to open for a few known people. And I know who James McMurtry is, uh, but I've had three or four or five people through the years say that I opened for him and, and they've seen me in the show and I have no recollection of that. <laughs> it could be good or bad. I'm yeah. not sure. <laughs> yeah. It's either a really good night or... Um, well, I really appreciate you coming to Prospero's Pit and talk a little bit about an entire career oh, yeah. of music and art and important work in our community legally. Um, I think we start wrapping. I want to end it with like three back, back to three music questions and bring this thing home. Um, what's the best show you've ever seen? Um, well, I've seen a lot of Bob Dylan shows, and I love his shows. And and uh, I would say uh, some of the some of the best shows I've seen have been his. And I I couldn't narrow it down except to say I because I like his music so much. Uh, I also remember a show in St. Louis with the impressions, but uh, uh, you know. People get ready. There's a train a coming, uh, and uh, didn't Rod Stewart butcher yeah. that song? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, he probably did. And uh, uh, I've always liked John Prine's yeah. shows. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, you know, you've played around here and gigged out a long time. Any thoughts about your favorite Kansas City venue? Um, it used to. Uh, for playing, now I would say two places uh, in the old 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 days, the er, the Grand Emporium, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, as a favorite venue, both to see other other groups all the time, and then we played there. We had a, at one point we had a matinee there every Wednesday for a year year and a half. I like that. Um, I also like playing at Davies Uptown Rambler a lot. Just a, a funky, you know, 
smoke and and bottles clinking and you know all that kind of PBR. stuff. PBR. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that place. And and a little later, the record bar. Yeah. Um, and the the I've played Knuckleheads. I guess uh, four or five times. In you know, in the big stage and inside and in the gospel lounge, and uh, of the places that I've played now, the I think the record bar and and knuckleheads uh, are really a pleasure for musicians to yeah. play, just in the way they treat musicians and all that. Was, those are great places too. Yeah. I mean, the Tulipan and those guys yeah. have done a great job in both the locations. I've seen the record bar at. I tell you something though, when I look back and I, I've. I cannot any longer remember all the kind of places we played, yep. but we've played weddings and we've played funerals. I played grocery store and people's front yard and people's backyard, <laughs> and and all the clubs and and uh, hope they of, throwing stuff at you to get yeah. you off stage. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> people. Well, my last question, um, any thoughts you want to leave the next crop of writers and musicians coming up behind you? Mm-hmm. Is uh, um, yeah. Uh, do the things that you think will increase both your inspiration and your uh, craftsmanship, and I think that you need both, and and. You know, I think the brain is wired that uh, when you're younger, you you can rely more on inspiration and, and the stuff that you come up with is more original, uh, just like in mathematics. You know, mathematicians are done by the time they're 25 or 26. Uh, and then at some point, like right now, I still write songs and... I'm like a pitcher who no longer has a fastball, but I've got my curve and my uh, change of pace now, and I've learned those. And if you want to have any staying power as a musician, you you need to study wh- how other deconstruct songs that you like, find out why they work, what, uh, and incorporate that into your style. Great stuff. Anything else you want to talk about that we didn't talk about that we've overlooked or No, uh, um I think you you know you've covered from A to Z. All right. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate oh, yeah, you coming yeah. and sharing. Thanks for the music over the yeah. years. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me go home and put on that box set tonight. Yeah. Oh yeah. I still yeah. have that. So. Yeah, do you? Yeah. yeah. I still enjoy it. It's funny how things go missing though. Yeah. <laughs> we got this. Somebody brought one in and had I don't know, just a few weeks ago, they brought a copy in, but it had like only two of the discs in it. Well, it had the box and mm-hmm. everything was missing, but I still got all of mine. Cool. Well, thank you, Howard. Really appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thank you, That's Will. Uh-huh. You want to play a song? <laughs> I'll, I'll play a song. Excellent. Even better. The man brought his axe in, and I was like, going, ah, yeah. We'll cut out this quiet spot here for you guys later.
And I don't know if this will help, but I'm going to point this over that way too, and Danny will figure out how to mix this thing. Yeah. And, uh, Danny Max Staten has helped us be our producer and our filmographer tonight, and we want to say thanks. Um, okay. And then you can use this to fill in any... Uh, This, this song here is one of those ones that I mentioned. This is called Calling Robert Burns. And this was sort of invoking the spirit of a great songwriter. I mean, I know you know this. He he wrote Old Lang Syne. And they say he wrote uh, that song about when a laddie leads a lassie coming through the rye. And scores of more songs. The streets are flooded in Memory City I'm drowning in the tears of my own self-pity I've been living in a prison of my own construction with a diamond ceiling and quicksand suction Oh, the king and queen were born to govern But the queen ran off when the king got stubborn His loneliness couldn't be self-imposed my mind's made up, the subject's closed Oh, I might die now and I might die later At the cold North Pole or the hot equator But the time and the temperature do not matter if she's where I can look right at her And we're calling Robert Burns in Scotland With a cup for old Lang Syne From the wasteland of the heartland where we're coming through the ride I carry a love big enough for two the one is me, the other you Yeah, the Statue of Liberty turned around When China took her great wall down Oh, they let you live and they make you die and they show you where, but they won't say why. But you can put it right on my epitaph. 
that I made you cry and I made you laugh. And we're calling Robert Burns in Scotland with a cup for old Lang Syne. From the wasteland of the heartland Where we're coming through the ride From the wasteland of the heartland Where we're coming through the ride. Howard Iceberg, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Will.